Hi, I'm Brenda Burns, and this is the Vienna Assembly of God Sermons Podcast. Thank you for listening. It's an honor to share this time with you. Learn more about the ministries of Vienna Assembly of God at ViennaAG.com. Please leave your comments and reviews on the platform where you're listening. And now for today's message. Early in my time as pastor, Blaine came to visit me. And I didn't even have my office set up yet, and it was cold. <laughs> it was in the winter. And, and so we sat down the middle level here. It was chilly. Um, but he came to just encourage me and to support me and, and to just um, kind of cheer me on in my new role. And it, that has continued throughout my time here as pastor. He's been that kind of presence in my life, just always encouraging. I mean, except for the moments where he's razzing me and, and joking with me, but mostly he's been encouraging me. And, um, and he was the... Um, I think one of the first special guests I ever invited here uh, to speak. Um, and I'm so glad that he's here again today. He and the team he leads in um, DC uh, at my one year anniversary, they, they um, invited me down to DC and gave me a, a really lovely breakfast in Georgetown and everything. And it's like, um, they've just been that kind of encouragement to me, and it means so much. But beyond that, um, I believe that Blaine is an anointed minister of God. The work he is doing is, I'm so proud that we are partners with him in that. But then beyond that, he is um, going to have a good word for us right here today. And so will you help me welcome Blaine Young, our Chi Alpha ministry in, uh, minister in D.C., and he's going to share the word with us. I like how I have a new personal branding slogan after that introduction. Blaine, sometimes encouraging. It's like WGTS, always encouraging. Blaine, sometimes encouraging. I love that. Well, hey, I wanted to ask you a question and to see if you could also come up with a response kind of in your mind's eye. Maybe you want to close your eyes, or maybe you think that's a little strange, and so you keep them open. But can you think of a place that is deeply meaningful to you? And maybe the place is special, but more than likely, the place has meaning because of either the people that were there in that place with you, or the season that that place represents. Maybe uh, it was that first meal where you um, went out to dinner with the person that's now your spouse. Maybe as a kid, it's that playground that your parents took you to. Not enough, in your opinion, but they took you there. And you have some great memories of shooting hoops or being on the swings. Maybe it's to a simpler time, like life feels really complex and difficult and challenging right now if you're in the room or you're online, and you just picture that place. Maybe it's a grandparent's house, and... It was that one holiday where everyone didn't argue and the crazy uncle thankfully got sick and didn't show up. Whatever it is for you, you're, you're picturing that place. And it's a place both of familiarity but also of nostalgia. It's a place filled with meaning because it has some deeper purpose. If my son were here, he's feeling a little under the weather. He's seven. His name is Jeremiah. He would say that that place, of course, is a toy store. 
either the Hot Wheels aisle, the Beyblade aisle, or the Pokemon aisle. I don't know what all those toys mean except me spending a lot of money um, because they're collectibles, right? And he needs more than one. But I'll, I'll, anyway, that's just my personal. I'm just group processing. I believe in therapy, so that was my moment. Um, for my wife, right, she's doing her master's in library and information science at Catholic University. And so for her, it's a bookstore, any bookstore. She can never have enough books. Our apartment looks like a bookstore. For a while, we had a reading room when we first got married before we had a dining table. Um, I just was taught happy wife, happy life. That's not in the Bible anywhere, not even in the message, paraphrase. Um, but I just leaned into it in the early years of marriage. I think about Jesus in the gospel accounts. It seems that he's always finding a way to both be a part of the crowd, ministering to others, and yet he slips away early in the morning. He seems to be kind of a nature person. He's out walking and talking with the Father. When I think of places that are important to me in my own personality, my own spiritual formation, I often think of Vienna, Virginia, because of Brenda and Craig. I think of a place that welcomed me, that loved me, that rooted me on. And it's like a place where I can show up and already know I'm feeling known and loved. I think about it when I'm driving through to pick up Taco Bamba, when I'm trying to figure out where's, you know, Anita's to get my New Mexico food fix. Uh, I think about it when I'm driving to retreat through here with students. I always mention, oh yeah, that church, they support us, they love us, they care for us. You may never meet them, but you're on their mind. So I want to say thank you at the top just for being that special place for me. So whether we've had the privilege of meeting or not, your giving, your prayers, your encouragement invests in missionary families like mine. Your giving truly makes a difference, and everything in the kingdom of God is a gift. The people, the experiences, the moments, and the memories, and you get to be a part of that. So throughout our time together today, I promise it won't take more than four hours, we'll have an opportunity to share the stories of lives that you're impacting who you may not meet these students on this side of eternity, but your giving and your prayers on a regular basis have made all the difference. I would love to open this up in a word of prayer. I promise we're going to get to the Bible soon, um, but I'd love to tell you a little bit more about myself and my family, but let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather. Thank you that you are in our midst, according to scripture, when we gather with the hope of putting our attention and our affections in your hand. And so, God, I thank you that we get to continue in, in worship, even as we share stories, as we think about missions, as we engage scripture, because we are devoting ourselves uh, past distractions towards your heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I've got a picture of my family, hopefully, that will load. If you haven't seen it, it should be behind me. Um, that's my son, Jeremiah. He's in second grade. He has some cute glasses. He plays soccer. And yes, he loves collecting things, as I mentioned earlier. And that's my wife, Hannah. We have been married over 11 years. We got married the day after college graduation. I tell my students that. That's not prescriptive. That's descriptive. That's just a lot of emotional change in a weekend, right? Like we had a final on Friday, graduated on Saturday, got married on a Sunday. I'm not recommending that. I'm just telling you that's my testimony, okay? And then uh, we're Chi Alpha Campus missionaries, and I've got a few pictures of some of our students, some of our retreats, some of our small groups and one-on-ones. 
And you might be wondering, Chi Alpha, that's a really strange name. Like, I think I ordered that one time at Starbucks. Um, No, Chi Alpha actually is just shorthand in the Greek for Christ's ambassadors. And it comes from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.20. And he's painting this really beautiful picture. He's saying that we would want to be so in touch with God and yet living in such close proximity to those that might be far from him that there's this missional synergy that takes place, that God is going to make his appeal to others through us. And so what does it mean to be an ambassador on campus? Well, it means that my role isn't just to represent Jesus to students, but to train them and equip them so that they could learn to share their faith with their peers and with their professors. It's interesting. I don't, I don't think Brenda was looking at my note. Pastor Brenda was looking at my notes earlier, but this was in my notes, and the, you know the, the tech team can, can definitely vouch for me. But the, the true measure of a church isn't its seating capacity. It's its sending capacity. It's true. It really matters what happens after this season, after this moment, after the benediction, after the service ends. I grew up in a church really similar to this and in function and size and style. And and so much of my personal formation and pastoral identity was formed in a space like this, a community of believers that was working to care for each other and care for their community. And my entire life was changed. And, and my pastor, Adam Cantu, in Las Cruces, New Mexico, has no idea of the impact that he made and that he is continuing to make in the lives of students in Washington, D.C. I don't think he's ever been to D.C. I don't think he ever went to college. And yet, his influence matters in the lives of some of our country's smartest, most brilliant, and sassiest students that I get to minister to. Praise God. Francis Chan, he's not a friend of mine, but I love this quote, and I found this picture. He says this, if Jesus says something, we don't often do it. We simply memorize the instructions. And he's referring to the Great Commission, that we, we learn the instructions, and then instead of practicing it, we just memorize it which would be really tough as a parent, right? And unlike in Chi Alpha ministry settings, I'm not the only parent in the room here, so I can't pretend like I'm an expert. Like when I'm talking to 18 and 19-year-olds, I can share a parenting story. I'm not saying I embellish it, but they're like, wow, that's so great. Some of you guys have been parents longer than I've been alive, and that's totally awesome. But what I do know is that if I told my son to do something and then he just memorized it instead of doing it, that would be really strange and somewhat frustrating. Like if I was like, hey, man, clean your room and then he's like well on Tuesday at 2 p.m. you asked me to clean my room but then he didn't clean the room I would be like there's a clear disconnect so I love how Francis Chan is reminding us that God is inviting us into a greater story a pastor friend of mine says it like this we often treat the great commission as a great suggestion and everyone ends up losing and it's not just your neighbors your coworkers. Or those who are far from God yet close in proximity to you that end up missing out. It's we miss out because we would mature actually through ministry. That we mature by doing it. Not just learning the words of Jesus but practicing the ways of Jesus. A phrase that we say is at American University and Georgetown University as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. That's our hope. That's what we're encouraging students to live into that reality, to be filled with hopeful expectation that the weary world can actually rejoice when it finds the Father, when it finds Jesus. 
I thought it was really interesting that Pastor Brenda used the word tribe earlier when talking about Chi Alpha uh, because I asked a student, he's a freshman at American University, what Chi Alpha meant to him. And I'm going to read a quote from him. He said, Chi Alpha means tribe for me. And then he said this, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go far fast, go with the tribe. Caleb was baptized a few weeks ago at our fall retreat. And he was realizing that the great gift of faith that his family gave him had to somehow then shift to become his own as he's an emerging adult living alone from, camp- living alone from his family on campus for the first time. What's interesting is that Caleb understands what some of us, unfortunately, have forgotten because of time or life's experiences, that grace is too big to keep in our pocket alone. Caleb, within weeks of coming to campus, has already invited his friends to join community, but more than that, he shared with them the hope of Jesus that he has experienced. A friend of mine puts it like this, we can't help talking about what we care about the most that we can't help discussing, arguing, or joking about the things that we hold most dear to our hearts. And for Caleb and for his roommate, it's Jesus. And so at a peculiar place like American University, in a strange time like we're living in now, he's sharing the gospel, not because he wants to prove that he's right and someone else is wrong, but because he wants his friends to be in right standing with the Father. And I think even some of our upperclassmen are learning that there's a difference between wanting to be right and wanting to see people being made right. Winning someone's heart versus winning an argument. I was in a training recently, and someone said, if you're smart enough to talk someone into the kingdom, to argue them into a new worldview, there's probably someone else smarter that's going to undo that a few years later. But people need to have an encounter with Jesus something that they can hold on to. We sang about it earlier, an anchor that would hold them, that would ground them, that would be formational for them. And one of the ways we do that in Chi Alpha is by helping people experience close community with those that love Jesus deeply. In other words, we believe that we cannot have true, father, true sisterhood or brotherhood without the fatherhood of Jesus. That any community that we see people engaging in on campus is only a shadow, only a sample of what we believe the kingdom of God, the family of believers, can offer. Now, it's messy, it's difficult, it's challenging, but it's meaningful, and it's worthwhile. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, it, it doesn't seem to be optional. In the early church, there's two ideas that I think we've drifted away from, and I was telling my students about this on Thursday. We gather as a community at AU on Thursday nights and at Georgetown on Thursday nights, and we we do teaching and worship and fellowship and prayer, and one of the things that we were sharing is that for the early church, for the first believers in Jesus, they didn't have a framework or a concept to be a disciple of Jesus that didn't then go and make other disciples. They didn't have an idea, like it wouldn't even make sense to them logically that they would hear the good news and not share the good news. But also that that, that you could follow Jesus alone, like that didn't make sense, right? Because being a follower of Jesus is a team sport. A mentor of mine, Mike, put it this way, is that Jesus loves group projects, which is not great for me because I usually hate any project that starts with the word group. 
but Jesus loves doing things collaboratively, together. I mean, it's, it's almost scandalous that his idea of the redemption of humanity would utilize humanity to help bring healing even while they're imperfect and broken. It's why Nowen gives us this picture of the wounded healer that we can minister out of our place of brokenness at a far more intimate and real uh, reality than we can a place of strength. I think of students like Trevor, who just joined our community a few weeks ago. He joined through a program one of our staff, Natalie, leads called Dinner for Doubters. And it's a once-a-month dinner. It's completely free. It's open to everyone on campus that wants to come. And there's just posters everywhere on campus that says, Are you deconstructing faith? Are you doubting what you once believed about Jesus? Are you finding it hard to pursue Christian community in these interesting times? Basically, the subtext is, are Christians making you doubt the Savior? If so, we'd love to talk. We'd love to treat you to dinner. Because we really have this belief driven out of the Psalms, driven out of Proverbs, driven out of the communication style of Jesus, that our doubts don't have to distance us from God, but they can draw us in if we don't navigate our doubts in isolation. So the student Trevor showed up, and he said, I didn't know what to expect. This is a few weeks ago. He's like, I expected pizza. Thankfully, it was something better. It's because of great church partners. We can provide more than pizza sometimes. And then he said, I was expecting like a PowerPoint and a lecture, like 15 reasons why I should believe. He's like, instead, I found a place where I could ask questions, where people knew my name, and where I was shown that it's okay to wrestle. His first time coming, he thanked Natalie and the team five times just for holding the event. The next week he was involved in my life group and he's still getting to know and he recently said this in a life group he said I can't yet fully hope in Jesus like I used to be able to but being around this community has shown me that hope is possible again. It's those stories that aren't just my story or Natalie's story or Chi Alpha's story but it's your church's story too, in the lives of Caleb, in the lives of Trevor. I think of Brittany, one of our grad students who came into our community. She was following Jesus her whole life, and when she got to college, if she were here, she would say everything in her life shifted. The strong family she thought she had deteriorated. The strong church she thought she had became a very different church with a very different understanding of the gospel. All of the foundations under her were shifting. And yet recently she said, it was in Chi Alpha that I found people willing to pursue Jesus and that wanted the best for me, even if it involved hard conversations. We help teach our student leaders this, that we want you to care more for someone's future than their feelings in a given moment. We don't want you just to be a jerk, right? There's so many of those around. Um, but we want you to care more for someone's long-term future than how they might feel about you in a given moment. To ask someone deeply, hey, where have you been? Hey, we've missed you. Hey, have you plugged into a local church? Hey, what are you reading in scripture? Where are you wrestling with God? I love asking students the question, what is the most difficult part of the gospel for you to understand? Or what is the most challenging part of scripture for you to obey? And I think they always think it's a trick question, because on campus I go by Rev Blaine. So they're like, um, nothing? And I'm like, oh, well, here's my list of things. <laughs> Here's how I would have felt like I would have written the book differently if I were in charge. Because it's this idea that we can wrestle and grow. I mean, the, the New Testament authors talk about it to work out our salvation 
with fear and trembling, that there should be some sort of tension as we're following Jesus and not just following our own dreams, pretending that it's Jesus. In election season, I often remind our students at American University, which is one of the most politically active campuses in the country, that if Jesus always votes like you, thinks like you, acts like you, and only loves you, you're actually probably not following Jesus. You're probably just following your own ideas, and you've called them Jesus to kind of help you feel a little bit better about that. Jesus always cares for us and confronts us. Even for the disciples and the Pharisees, he wasn't easy to put in a box. He wasn't easy to always understand. It, it almost sounds a little crass, but like Jesus was kind of slippery in conversations. Like when he was asked questions, he only answered like three or four, according to most scholars. He just asked other questions. And I think he did that because faith was more about the journey than it was a destination which is challenging because I care greatly about the destination and would love to fast forward the journey. He cares about who we're becoming, not just where we're going. He cares about us being with him, not just doing for him. One of my favorite passages in scripture, and I get to talk about it for a few minutes today, is in the book of Acts. Look at me being a good Chi Alpha missionary teaching out of Acts. Acts 16, 25 through 36, and I'll read it, and it goes like this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Verse 33, At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrate sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go leave in peace. I do my best to, to teach students that, I guess, two kind of principles as we engage with scripture. One is that there's this category of things <laughs> or these, these two phrases that can drive us, that we can find in life, in, in, in a Christian worldview, or in, in a worldview that ascribes to be Christian, or in other worldviews, that we can find things that are comforting, but untrue, and then we can find things that are disconcerting and are true. In other words, not all truth feels peaceful at first, and not all things that provide a temporary peace are necessarily true. The other thing that we tell students and that we try to live out ourselves is that sometimes <laughs> we like to read our own ideals into a text instead of learning what the text might be saying to us. For instance, if I were to read Genesis 1 and said, you know, do we get a picture of God as being just in this passage in just Genesis 1 alone, 
The answer would be no, even though we do know God is just. We see him as creator, as, as life giver, as having a powerful voice. And so sometimes we can bring other aspects of God's character, which are true, but aren't necessarily true about the story. And sometimes we have to get right to the story to see what God might be speaking to us. So yes, it's absolutely true that when we worship and pray, there can be breakthrough. Things can shift internally and externally. But that's not Luke's primary reason for sharing this story. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because my um, estimation of this as I study this passage is that Paul and Silas didn't even leave the prison when their chains were loosed or the doors were open because they were actually never captives. Internally, they were always free. And they weren't worshiping and praying to get a, a, a solution or reaction from God. Prayer and worship was a gift themselves that they only knew how to do that in all situations. See, I think sometimes, and I do this too as a believer, I'll wait in the circumstance long enough for me to get the breakthrough, but not long enough for the breakthrough to get to somebody else. In Luke's writing of the story, the crescendo, the climax of the story, isn't the physical freedom of Paul and Silas. It's the spiritual freedom of the jailer and his family. It's the spiritual freedom of the oppressor in this story that's at point view of Luke's writing. But if they had left when the doors were open and said, well, we got ours, we would have never seen not only this jailer who would have then, it says, committed suicide, but he and his whole family came to know Jesus. The struggles that you and I go through, God is there in solidarity with us, right? God with us, Emmanuel. But I think he might have a greater plan than just your freedom. Because truly free people find others that need freedom. The only reason you wouldn't leave prison when the doors are open is because you have a greater purpose. You have a greater compass. You have a greater perspective. Paul and Silas in this passage and in other accounts, when they're in trouble, they don't seem to care that they're in trouble. I mean, one time Paul gets in trouble and they're like, hey, you're in trouble for preaching the gospel. What do you have to say for yourself? And he's like, oh, yeah, speaking of the gospel, let me tell you about it. He's not trying to find a way out of a circumstance. He's trying to see how he can bring God into the circumstance for the benefit of others. Sometimes I worship at midnight metaphorically because I need an answer. But I also need to remember that God exists for me to worship not just because of his hands, but because of who he is. That it's possible that I could miss it entirely by just seeking his hands and not seeking his face. They were praying and singing hymns to God because he was worthy and they knew he was good. Even though their circumstances looked crazy. Even though a lot of times Paul's writing to churches and he's having to encourage them because they're discouraged that he's in prison. And he's like, oh, that's not even the big deal. He's like, the big deal is I want you to stop acting so crazy in community. <laughs> Paul and Silas were already walking in freedom, living as believers, proclaiming Jesus, and their freedom led to the freedom of someone else. Their freedom led to a life-changing moment for the jailer and his family. 
Someone a few years ago asked me this question, and it's haunted me. It's, Blaine, if all your prayers were answered tomorrow, would your campus, would your campus be more reached, or would your life simply be more comfortable? Like, if all your prayers were answered in a moment, would you just have a nicer car, bigger apartment, friendlier cat? Or, or would more people on campus know Jesus? We put it like this in our ministry, witness leads to worship, leads to witness. Some of us are so kind of type A and driven that we try to start with witness, and the way we do the ministry of the Lord then prevents the ministry of the Lord in us. Because it has to start with witness and worship and then become an overflow. So in the last few minutes, I just have this three guiding principles to share with you about how you share your faith, right? And hopefully as a missionary, as a professional Christian, you can be trusted that these are tested. Number one, don't censor yourself. A mentor of mine shared this with me. So we tell our students this. If someone asks you, what do you do on Thursday nights? And you say, oh, I go to this weird thing that's named a fraternity called Chi Alpha, and we kind of talk, well, that is, you're kind of censoring yourself. Uh, I don't want them to repeat the sermon I gave, but they could say, hey, we went to this worship gathering on Thursday. That's where I was when you were at the library, and it's actually really meaningful to me because we sang this song, and I went in for a prayer, and God really spoke to me. Do you see the difference there? But it's interesting that we don't like to kind of do in the middle. We either like, I want to give someone the Romans road and replay the sermon from Sunday, or pretend I didn't go to church, but actually the answer's in the middle. It's just being honest with what you did. When someone asks me, I have students that I know on campus that are non-Christians, what did you do this weekend? Blaine, oh, I, I spoke at my friend's church. Not, oh, I went to give a talk with some friends, and there was some great acoustic music beforehand. Like, that would, that, don't censor yourself. And it's interesting when we let small truths leak how much people lean into that and want to hear that. The second principle is talk about Jesus and love like him. I always have half of my students that want to talk about Jesus, but then they don't love like him. They just want to preach to others, but not live out the gospel. That's kind of problematic. <laughs> but then I have others that just want to love like him and then never mention him. And they're like, well, if I just love people and never talk about Jesus, people will assume that I follow a Messiah who died and rose again thousands of years ago and is coming back. I'm like, That's not what people are going to assume at American University. If you're nice to people and serve them, they're not going to be like, oh, I bet you this person is part of Christianity, which started as a sect in Judaism, and I should give my life to that. No, they're going to be like, that person's probably like another vegan who does CrossFit. That's nice. We have to both talk about Jesus and love like him. And the third is to lean into investment and invitation. And this is one of the most challenging because most of us are probably wired one way where we want to invest, 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 and go where people are out, we're at, but then we never invite them. Or maybe you're an inviter. You're like, I'm always inviting them to church on Sundays. I'm always inviting them. But the question is, when have you met them and invested in them? Some of our best student leaders in Chi Alpha have learned how to do both. Invest in their roommates and invite their roommates. Invest in the lives of their professors and invite them to meaningful conversations. So the good news is that I am so thankful to be a Chi Alpha missionary sent by this church. The other good news that may not sound as good is that the Great Commission isn't just up to me. <laughs> that it's a group assignment for all of us. And that as we learn not to censor ourselves, as we talk about Jesus and love like him, and as we lean into investment and invitation, 
the stories I shared of our students will be stories that are reproducible, stories that we have of our own. And as I close in prayer and hand it back to Pastor Brent, I just want to share one thought. One closing thought is a a few years ago, I realized that most of the stories of faith and transformation I was telling were a little bit older. And I realized I wanted new and fresh stories. We have to come to a place where we're discontent with kind of going through the highlight reel, and we want new stories. I realized the stories I was telling were like six years old, and I was like, Lord, why don't I have any new stories? And he was like, why haven't you worked for new stories? And I was like, oh, that's on me. We have to position ourselves if we want new stories to be willing to see opportunities for God's story to live through us. God, thank you for this opportunity to share. I pray that even now you would highlight in people's minds and hearts someone that they could share about you with, someone that they could love like you and also talk about you. God, someone that maybe they've been inviting that they could invest in, or maybe someone they've been investing that they could invite God, I thank you that we all have a role to play in missions, but also in living on mission, sharing the good news with those around us. God, as our time of being gathered is coming to an end, I pray you'd remind us that we never depart from your spirit and we never step out of the mission that you've called us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, Blaine. What a good word. What a good, good word. We're going to be blessing uh, Blaine with an honorarium, but if you would like to give extra into that, there's envelopes at the offering back there. Um, If online giving, there's an option in the drop-down called special guest, and anything that would come in for special guest um today is that would be forwarded on to blaine and so i i just want to give you that opportunity because um that's a part of how the kingdom of god works when something has when you've received a really good word from god you know uh blessing back finding a way to bless back is a really important thing and we always want to be a people of generosity so i invite that um if if you feel so led to do that. So I'm going to send you out with a blessing, but I, I, so I I think that's just amazing that we had the same quote to share. Um, But another thing from this conference, uh, the speaker was from West Texas, and he sounded like it. And, um, and, you know, I told you last week how I can sort of slip into talking with an accent, but there's just no, I'm not going to sound like him, and I need to restrain myself from even trying. But anyway, he was telling this story about salt. And because that's a part of our blessing, I want to share this story with you. But he grew up in West Texas next to his granny, and he, and he was like, I, w- I loved being with, with uh, Granny when she was cooking, and she would always have a pot of water on the stove and, it, and starting to get it um, going to boil, but then she would go and start and put salt in the water. And so he said, well, Granny, why, why are you putting salt in the water? And she said, well, that, that helps it to boil faster. If I go ahead and put the salt in, it's going to boil faster. But then there would be other times where on, in the summer, out in the mudroom, 
there would be a homemade ice cream machine. And he grew up in Texas, and peach ice cream was a thing. And so it was a big deal. And so he was watching his granny get the ice cream ready. And, and she would put the ice in, and, um, and, and then a layer of salt, and then some more ice, and then a layer of salt, and then some more ice, and a layer of salt. And well, Granny, why are you putting salt there? And oh, well, because if you add the salt to the ice, then that makes it get colder. And, and so it, it was like, oh, wait a minute, you told me that if you put the salt in the boiling water, it helps it get hotter. And now you're telling me if you put it on the ice, that makes it get colder. And can you explain that to me? And his, his grandmother says, no, I can't. But what I can tell you is that wherever salt is, it elevates what's going on. And I want to encourage you with that today. That wherever salt is, wherever you're going and following these tips that Blaine has given us that are so vital and, and doing the work of God right where you are, that you are salt and you are elevating what God is doing in that situation. Amen. So let's stand together. I'm going to send you out with this blessing because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Let's go in the name of the Lord. If you enjoyed today's message, why not share it with a friend? I invite you to subscribe at Apple Podcast and our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments. So glad that you were with us today. Look forward to seeing you next week. At Vienna Assembly of God, we love God, others, and life. And we're leading our community in a growing relationship with God.